All right, everyone. We might get um, we might get started. Thank you very much for uh, for coming. Hopefully, well, not hopefully, but this should be the last one. Um, it's been 10, 10 sessions on this one for twenty five verses. I was not expecting it to take this long. Um, so I'll open with a, a word of prayer, and then uh, and then we'll just get through uh, the the last of it with uh, with a few things, I guess, to sort of cap everything off and and summarize a few things. Uh, dear Lord, uh, thank you once again for, uh, for allowing us to come together um, around your word, um, whether it be through Sunday school or the main service, Lord, we thank you that we've got, uh, uh, we, we have opportunities uh, to be able to gather together as a, as a group um, of believers to draw from your word, um, and whether that be inspiration for the day that we need for ourselves personally or, a, uh, or an exhortation that we might need to correct a course that we're on or, uh, or the, the motivation that we might need to reach out to others. Lord, we pray that you would uh, allow us to divine what each of us need from your word, that, uh, that it would settle and find a place within our heart and that we would uh, continue to carry it with us uh, until we see you in glory. So we pray, Lord, for this, uh, for this Sunday school that uh, the, the remainder of it would be, um, again, continue to be edifying for, uh, for those that would hear. And we pray, Lord, that, um, yeah, that, that, oh, sorry, we give thanks that, uh, that we have these opportunities each and every Sunday to, uh, to gather together. So please bless the word to each of us. Um, and we ask all of this in your precious name. Amen. Okay. So there were a, oh, I don't have the remote. All over it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, um, again, we're not going to go through it, but, but we can see, I guess, from the structure of, of what we're looking at, um, although the, the book of Jude itself, or the, the, the small epistle that we've got in front of us, looked relatively simple, I think, when we first started it. Um, it's, uh, the, the, the depth of it and the complexity of it, I guess, has, uh, has really, well, hopefully drawn to the surface with, uh, with what we've looked at. And, uh, and I'm hoping that at least there's a bit more of an appreciation. A few people have, have sort of commented afterwards that this is an epistle that they've either, either never read before or one that they kind of glossed over in the past. Um, and I must admit, as I said at the very beginning, my initial inspiration for doing this one was that I hadn't done this before and I thought this would be over in, in one or two sessions uh, just to sort of, uh, you know, get over the nerves and, and make it a small, uh, easy obstacle. But um, the Lord's obviously had other plans for this. Um, and, and yeah, for, for anyone that's been excited and interested in this, um, I'm, I'm glad that it's at least um, given a little bit more depth to maybe an epistle that people haven't read. <laughs> I'll be an old man by then. <laughs> I don't know if I'll get through that one. I don't, I don't know if I ever did this again, if I would go to the same level of depth, but, uh, but maybe on some of the smaller ones, I'm not too sure, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, I think. Yeah, I think so. It'll be about two years of prep as well. I think um, a lot of this comes together. I think I've got a whole week to do it, and it still comes together at like five a.m. the night before. So uh, anyway, we'll get there. But um, but yeah, thank you all for for, for coming and for, for repeatedly coming, I guess, and not uh, not giving up on it. Uh, so there's obviously been, been quite a lot we've been through. The, where we ended off, we were um, just towards the end of, uh, I guess, the exhortations of, of things that we should be doing. Um, we looked at the personal exhortations and we were kind of expanding then, you know, this is what we are to do. 
um, not just as a defense, but what we're to do as Christians in general. Um, it just happens to be that what God wants us to do in a positive manner to increase our understanding of his word also ends up being a defense of these uh, against it, the interlopers. It's not that um, what we need to do is specifically to defend against them. It's just that our defense is... Uh, a, a byproduct, I guess, of our, of our learning and our edification and our understanding of His Word, and by extension, um, again, the title that I put there of, of societal applications—that is, once we have that personal understanding and we've grown in that and developed that, we then have the ability to extend through the grace gifts that we've we've received uh, through the mercy, peace, and love uh, of the grace gifts from verse two. We're able to extend that mercy, that peace, and that love out to others. Um, and we just got a couple of things to look at there, and then we'll go through the doxology. Um, so we went through, I guess, the first component here, um, which was, you know, what are we to do to contend for our faith? And, and you know, the, the, what we were doing was, was not doing what the interlopers were doing, which was taking the grace gifts and turning them into something personal or something for, uh, for personal gain or for personal pleasure or personal achievement. Um, but we were to use those grace gifts to build up our holy faith, and then through that conviction that we have in God's word, uh, we can extend those grace gifts towards others. So I just wanted to cover off on the grace gifts. I, I mentioned these verses and sort of said if anyone had time to go through them, but I think it's worth sort of, um, uh, sort of reading through them now. Uh, they're, they're relatively short verses, but important ones. Um, so what are we to do? So in extending these grace gifts, so these aren't specific references to the grace gifts themselves, but these are things that we are to be. Um, so looking at Second uh, Timothy Chapter 2, uh, verse 24 to 26. And again, no need to, to flip to it unless you uh, really feel like it, but um, I'll, I'll read them out. Um, and I think there's one or two that we might uh, sort of read together and look through them, but, um, but I'll, I'll read this out. So Second uh, Timothy, chapter 2, 24 to 26. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, us being the servant again, or as we, we looked at in Jude, the slave. And the, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. It's a, it's a lot within that one, um, but as we spoke about last time um, in verse, uh, when we were breaking down verse 24, we were saying to save others, and we made, or made the comment that it wasn't up to us to provide any salvation to anyone. It wasn't a, a saving in that sense that we were to give them. This, this sort of reiterates that. What are we to do? Well, as, as servants of the Lord, we, we don't strive. We're not arguing. And that's what Jude sort of uh, really emphasizes here. It's absolutely not up to us to be doing anything. But be gentle unto all men. Teach and be patient. And do that in meekness, not, not out of our own volition, not out of, of any skills or abilities that we've got or, or, or boasting on that. If we've got those skills and abilities given by God, we need to acknowledge that they've come from God. And if we're doing that and we're doing it with the right heart and we're approaching these people in that, in that meekness, in that gentleness, and we're teaching and being patient with them, as it says in verse 25, if God will give them repentance unto the knowledge of the truth. Again, it's all God that's going to give them that repentance and he's going to save them. Um, but we can absolutely be a tool or, or, a, or a cog or a, or a mechanism that is, is used of the Lord to be able to reach those individuals. Um, and then uh, we've got another reference here in being a faithful servant. 
uh, in, uh, still in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 to 5, uh, on a very similar theme. And it is as, as being a faithful servant here. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and make full proof of thy ministry. Something that really hit me with these two verses, um, and, and I'm assuming potentially older parents are, are sort of more understanding of this, but I think when I used to read these before I had children, it was very much an, uh, an external thing, um, even within a congregation, thinking about, okay, who could I go out into the world and save? What work colleague needs salvation? Um, but very much in reading this now, it became much more personal to the extent of what's happening in, in my own home. Um, and I guess that's, that's verses that are very much changed in, in what they are when, when you very much make it a personal thing or you, you're no longer thinking about individuals that are an, ex, uh, you know, uh, an extension away from you, or, or sorry, not an extension, um, uh, further removed from you than the immediacy of a family, whether it be um, someone within your own home or, or someone that uh, is in your family that's not saved, either a, a, a parent or a grandparent or a child or, or whoever it might be an auntie and uncle, um, those conversations are somewhat harder than ones that are work colleagues because if you're dismissed outright, it can, you know, they're still uncomfortable, but if you're dismissed, well, okay, I gave it a go. But when it's a family member and there's, there's someone's soul on the line, as there is in all these circumstances, but when it becomes that much more personal, um, these two really resonated uh, uh, with me and having these grace gifts that we do have, we have them if we're saved, they're there, uh, much like salvation, they're there for the taking. It's whether or not we choose to use them. So um, those two really resonated, and I, I thought I would share those. Um, but again, the, the the concept that we've got here in being meek and being gentle and being patient echoes what we've got in, in uh, verse 9 of Jude, which was that it was not an argument, and that's the example that Michael had um, when he was... Uh, well, when the devil was arguing with Michael, um, and, and Michael sort of said... Um, that's, that's, not, that's not my position. I'm not there to argue. I'm not there to, to, to condemn. Um, there's another verse in First Peter um, uh, chapter 5, 8 to 10. Um, and it's, it's one that's it's quoted quite often for the pulpit, at least verse 8 is, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith... So we're to resist in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, but the grace, uh, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Settle you is, a, is, is an amazing bit there. Um, that we are to accept our position, that we have an adversary, and he wants to absolutely devour us, that we can resist that devouring through our faith. And not only are we to... We acknowledge the fact that they're suffering, but we'll be made perfect, strengthened, and settled to be calm in that, Um, to to think that there is someone out there that wants to destroy us, uh, not just physically, but in our soul, and uh, and that the Lord will not only protect us from that, but settle us uh, is is a wonderful thing. But the one that I wanted to draw out of that was being sober and being vigilant. We we are in a... a, battle here 
Uh, and if we are to be a tool of the Lord saving others, it, it will be difficult times. There will be afflictions and, and there are things that we need to be um, aware of. As we had in Jude where we were talking about um, saving others with fear, uh, not being pulled into them, temp- their temptations or their lusts in going after them. Um, and then I ended it with the question, which was, who should we, stand our, who should we extend our mercy to? And I, uh, I was talking about, you know, when we read Jude, we're thinking of people that have either a poor foundation or a poor understanding of the Bible. Um, they've been influenced by others. It's, it's sort of, it's almost not necessarily their fault that I think most people attribute to the individuals that we're looking to save from verse 20 to 23. Um, we're, we're thinking, okay, these are individuals that, you know, have a good heart, that have, have lost their way and we want to save them. And the question I had was, well, for the individuals from verse 4 to 19, are we including any of those individuals in that category that we should be extending that that offering of, of salvation? Not, through, uh, not our salvation again, not our saving, but, but that salvation of the Lord. Are we, do we be extending that understanding to these individuals? And what I brought up at the time, and I'll look through some specific verses, but just to keep in mind, when we looked at the very specific reference that... Uh, that Jude pulls out in verse 14 to 15, which was the reference that he had in Enoch. I made comment at the time that he specifically left out destruction. Now, these are the prophetic um, uh, quotes that we've got here from Enoch. The previous version that we had of Enoch, or the previous quote that we had um, uh, for the book of Enoch, was um, a reference that was prophetic at the time it was written, but was considered to have been achieved by the time that Jude was written. Um, Whereas the prophetic component that we've got in 14 to 15 is a reference to the the coming um, uh, judgment that is to be executed upon all. And I said there were three elements to it. There was the judgment, there was a, a condemnation, and there was a destruction. And all the references to destruction had been pulled out. It was a very specific quote that he'd pulled out, and it's very obvious that that had been lifted. And again, uh, uh, through, I guess, an understanding and what I'll show, a comparison of, of condemnation versus mercy, uh, it is very much my belief that we are to include these individuals. Um, and that might be contentious, and I haven't vetted that with anybody <laughs> or checked it, but again, you know, I need to stand upon the word and I need to, to, to validate that with Scripture, and I need you guys either to be challenged by that or challenge me with that. Um, I, I could have sort of... To, to, uh, I guess the initial validation of, of, of this concept of uh, me including these interlopers, as we've called them, uh, in this group of individuals that we're to reach out and love, the, those verses, as far as I'm concerned, again, with this reference that, that removes destruction from the prophetic component of Enoch, that has an understanding of, of that their fate is not necessarily sealed. The... the Condemnation of sin and the salvation that we get through Christ, that exists, has existed throughout all time, will exist for anybody that's there to take that salvation will be in one camp and anyone that rejects it will be the other. However, at the current point in time that we are at right now, none of those individuals that are the interlopers of today that are amongst us or those individuals that are deriding the word their fate's not necessarily sealed and we are still able to reach out to those individuals. And the specific verse that I wanted to flip to uh, is Romans 5.20. Um, 
which is moreover, moreover the law entered that the offence might abound. And it's this part that, that, that brought me to it. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And um, if, if we are to lose hope in others um, and we're not to extend that mercy, it's, it's not like the Lord's ever going to give up on those individuals. We can give up on God, but he doesn't give up on us. Um, for us to be able to stand on the word, looking down at others, um, again, even these individuals that might be, be lost in their way uh, or even outright rejecting. Um, if we're not going after those individuals, then we might as well just sit and talk amongst ourselves. And that's where Jude starts his epistle. I was going to write to you about the common salvation. It'd be great to sit around and talk about how good God is and how great our salvation is, but we've got a job to do. And I need to talk to, to you about that and we need to do something about it. So the condemnation of sin has been known for all time. We'll only receive mercy from the Lord and he's, only, he's the only one that's aware of what's going to happen at that point in time and who's going to be in which book. Um, but he doesn't want to destroy. And that destruction, although for, sin, for those that die in their sin, it's a foregone conclusion. It's not for those individuals that are alive today that we can potentially bring to the word and through us the Lord can work that salvation into their heart. Uh, the other references that I wanted to look at here. Oh no. Thank you. Oh, beautiful. It's working. Um, so Psalm 103, uh, 12 to 22. And there's, I, I didn't even realize it at the time, but I was brought back to this verse and I had this one specifically underlined with a few circles around it. <clears throat> We're talking about salvation here, and it says in verse 12, As far as the east is from west, so far hath he removed our transgression from us. Like a father pitcheth his children, so the Lord uh, pitieth, sorry, um, so the Lord pitieth them that fear. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. For as a man his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth, for the wind passeth, passeth over it, and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord... Mercy again is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear and his righteousness unto his children's children. To such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. And we'll come back to that. There's a reason why I want to emphasize doing this. 19, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Blessed, uh, bless the Lord, yeah, his angels that excel in strength that do his commandments. Hearkening unto the voice of his word, bless ye the Lord, all ye hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Do again. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Why am I bringing that up? He's talking here, uh, the, the psalmist here, David, is talking about saved individuals. And there are three specific references to remembering his commandments and to do them, that do his commandments. <clears throat> and... I've lost the last do. Uh, that do his pleasure. Again, the pleasure being this concept of his commandments. We spoke about commandments before and I, I had a question on it afterwards. Um, it was a, a, sorry, a very innocent question, but I think one that just needs clarification. If, if one person's asking it, maybe others will as well. We're not talking the Ten Commandments here. We're talking about the Bible in, in its entirety. That is the word of God we're talking about. It is his command, his instructions for us. All of this is our instruction. Uh, we don't take the bits we want and we don't just do the easy bits or tackle the ones we want. It's in its entirety. 
we are to do his command. We are to do his will. And what I wanted to clarify, because we will talk about works in a component, <clears throat> is a specific reference in James 14 to 17. Now, you can look that up in your own time, but it was a, a comment that I've got in my study Bible that was perfectly worded and I just wanted to share. What he was talking about was basically saying, what profit a man to have his salvation and do nothing with it, right? You've got your salvation, fantastic. Kick back and relax. Wait for the, wait for the rapture or, uh, or, or wait, wait till you see God in glory. That's, that, what's the point of that? So the note that I've got at the bottom here, it says, James does not advocate a work-based, work-based salvation. And this was a fantastic sentence here. Workless faith and faithless works are equally dead. James's main concern is consistency of faith, evidenced by its fruit. True faith is active belief and active trust. There is something we're to do. And we looked at all of those verbs, these imperative verbs that Jude filled towards the end, in which we are to be keeping, looking, uh, we are to be saving, snatching. These are words that we are to be doing, not just in that moment, but continual until the Lord's coming. <clears throat> They result, those that an active belief and an active trust result in a changed life. The example here shows that action is necessary. Otherwise, words are empty. What use are words without obedience? And then immediately call to mind the song that we sing quite often at home, Obedience. If you actually break down the lyrics to that, it's, it's very applicable to Jude, right? We are servants, we are slaves, we are to be obedient to the master. And what are we to do? I, oh, I was going to get you to sing it, but I won't put you on the spot. Right? Uh, what is it? Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe, doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Those are the grace gifts that you'll receive in abundance when you're following his commands. So um, it was a simple song, but it popped into my head when I was reading that, and, uh, and it, was, it was quite apt for what we were looking at. One of the other verses that I wanted to bring up again, this justification, the, the reason that I'm putting these ones down at the bottom, condemnation versus mercy. <clears throat> this, is, this is a pouring out in, in the Lord's word that he wants everyone to be saved. So these interlopers are to be saved as well. If, it only rests on their shoulders as to whether or not they'll accept the salvation, but we are not to reject or condemn them. We're to be wary. That's why so much of the epistle is talking about an identification of who they are, but that identification isn't for condemnation. Maybe that identification is there for us to recognise that someone's struggling, lost in their way, and that we can assist in whatever way the Lord would, uh, would empower us to do so. So one of the other verses that we've got here is Zechariah 3, verses 1 to 5. And this one really got to me again this time. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and, state, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And this one will be familiar when we, when we were looking at Jude with uh, the, the quote that we had um, in the testimony of Moses. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke thee. O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? That reference echoes Jude. First of all, the terminology that's used in, in the Lord rebuke thee, right? And second, a, a, a brand being plucked from the fire. We have that reference of saving others from the fire. Um, just an echoing of, of, of that, but that the Lord rebuke thee is there. Now Joshua was clothed in filthy garments and stood before the angel, and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, and it's there when he says he answered, that is the Lord speaking here, take away the filthy garments from him, and unto him he said, behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. 
And I said, let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. Joshua's standing before the Lord and at his right hand. And that reference there, the right hand, if, if, if back in the day, if we could call it a court, the individual that would sit at the right hand of, of, of the judge would be, and the term is, is sort of thrown around today, the devil's advocate. That would be an individual that would be there that would basically be the opposing argument to what you would be saying, I, these are the reasons for or why I shouldn't be condemned or punished or, or, or put to death for these reasons. And you would have, effectively, the, the quote-unquote lawyer that would be standing at the right hand that would be explaining to the jury, as it were, or the, or the individuals in attendance as to why you should be punished. Satan standing there doing that, I could not imagine a scarier scenario because everything that's coming out of the devil's mouth would be a truth. You are a sinner. You should be condemned. There is nothing that you've done, regardless of, of the good works that you feel that you've done in your, in your life, there is nothing that you've done that justifies going to heaven and being saved. But in this, he doesn't even bother acknowledging Satan. He just orders that Joshua be clothed and that his filthy garments be taken away. And um, if that doesn't speak to the Lord's desire for us, that he wants nothing to do with the sin that we've got or that we've, we've carried, that we've, we've carried out, that we've held in our hearts, that we hold in our hearts, that he wants to bring us to salvation, then, um, then I, don't, I don't know what, <laughs> what other references to bring up. The entirety of the Bible is filled with these, but that one seemed to really echo, and especially the sentiment in, uh, in verse 2, echoing exactly what Jude talked about when, uh, when the devil was standing at the right hand of the Lord trying to, to, to take Moses. Um, in Revelation, it, it makes reference to the fact that Satan has been doing this from the beginning of time and will continue to do it until he's put away. You can replace Moses and you can replace Joshua. You should replace Moses and you should replace Joshua with you. He's standing there right now and he is advocating for you to go somewhere that the Lord does not want you to go. And he is doing that to our family and our friends and to anyone that is unsaved at the moment. That argument, it doesn't carry, war, it doesn't carry any weight in and of itself, but the outcome will be what he wants as opposed to what the Lord wants. And it's through that salvation. Um, so those are the references I wanted to get through and, uh, and emphasise there is always mercy. Um, so we'll get through the doxology, but I had a request just beforehand. Um, Brother, did you, want to, did you want to do verse 24 and 25? All right. Sorry, but I had a specific request just before we started. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if he's not listening to an argument from the devil to say that these people are condemned, why should we be standing there saying that these people are condemned? He's not interested in hearing that argument. He wants us to argue for their salvation, not for their condemnation. Mm-hmm. You know, the Israelites might be in the rips, 
exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Do you want the mic? No. Well, I don't know what you're doing, so this is unknown <laughs> to me. I'm, I'm worried. I don't know what's happening. I was hoping that Josh was going to be here this morning because he knows the doxology. He sings it as I do. Please allow me to sing the doxology to you. Much of Christendom sings this. So please join me. If you know it, please join me. I'll sing it twice. I'll sing it once, and then if you can join me, lovely. And now unto him who is able to keep, able to keep you from falling, and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and and unknowingly, you've given me an out because I can't read verse twenty-four without uh, without crying. Um, after, after shortly after I was saved, um, I, I think most of us have experienced an element where the shine comes off that apple, not the shine off the apple of salvation, as it were, but the shine that comes off us. I think we, when we're first saved, we're, we're pretty happy with ourselves and we, we feel pretty good, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves falling on old habits and going back to, to old sins and, and, and exploring old lusts, and I was lost in that. And, uh, and I read this, I was, again, you know, taking the easy way out. I, I opened up um, uh, Esau on my phone, and I thought, I'll just read a short one, I'll read Jude. And... Uh, <laughs> And I got to verse 24, I burst into tears on the train. Uh, I think well, a few people would have thought I was crazy, um, but I, I couldn't stop and, and had to get off a few stops earlier and, uh, and, and, and regain some composure. So thank you for seeing that. That was lovely. And now I don't need to read it. I could explore, uh, and explore it all. I couldn't do it justice um, that way. So thank you. Thank you again. Um, I'll, I'll quickly run through this. That's not to say that the doxology is something that should be dismissed. There is, again, a lot within it. But uh, just to sort of cover off, uh, a doxology being the last two verses, um, uh, it, it, it's basically a prayer or a praise to God. Uh, the term gets thrown around a bit, but just to, to give a definition that sits there. Uh, and they really actually follow a, a fairly distinct pattern uh, in the New Testament. This do- doxological pattern uh, is effectively the addressee, as in who we, are, who we are giving the praise to, the honour, the praise that we actually want to give them, the duration, and then a response, with the response usually being Amen. Um, so if we're looking at it, verse 20, 24 in its entirety and the beginning of verse 25 up until the B, that is the addressee. That is all of the, the, the terms that Jude wants to use to identify uh, uh, God in his entirety and, and who he is. The be the glory and majesty, dominion and power component is the honour. Um, the length of time there is both now and ever and the response then would be the Amen. Um, 
and they are found, they don't necessarily need to be at the end uh, of, of, of any books or the beginning, they can be found absolutely anywhere. Uh, if you flip one page over, well, depending upon how big the text is in your, uh, in your Bible, flip page, one page over to um, 1 Revelation 5 to 6, 5, again, it's in, in its entirety, is, uh, is this beginning component, this identification. Uh, the beginning of verse 6 also contains it, up until to him be glory and dominion in verse 6, being the... Uh, the honour, the duration, forever and ever, and the response being an amen. Uh, and when this would have been read aloud as a letter, uh, when, everyone got, uh, when you got to the amen, there normally would have been an actual response from everyone in attendance, which would have been a very exuberant amen, assuming they uh, echoed the sentiment of the letters. I'm sure there would have been some quiet people at the end of this one being read, or some, some false amens as they, uh, as they slunk back into the crowd. Um, so just to give a bit of an understanding uh, as to, to A, what a doxology is and B, that it doesn't, although there is a specific pattern, it doesn't always need to fall at the end. <clears throat> uh, again, breaking down some of the words here, this concept of keep, we've looked at it. It had occurred six times in the book of Jude. Again, keeping up with his triplets, three for condemnation, three for preservation. Uh, this one definitely being one uh, to, to preservation. Here's to keep us. Uh, that is uh, the same terminology, and I won't look it up uh, or read it out, but you can look it up in your own time in, in 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. This concept of keep, this is a very specific uh, uh, Greek word that's used for keep, even though the term kept and kept and preserved is used throughout Jude. This one is, is actually a concept of uh, um, almost a, an imprisonment. Um, you're not getting out of this one. Uh, when you're saved, you are kept in its entirety. Uh, so he is to keep us um, uh, forever. From falling, it is the only occurrence that we've got of, of the original Greek word here in the New Testament. Um, stumbling or not stumbling is another term that's used to define it. Um, and again, it comes very similar to, to what we're looking at in verse uh, 20 to 23, where we're talking about others a building ourselves up and having compassion for others that are faltering in their way. Um, he is able to keep us from that. That's not to say that there's no temptation. That's not to say that, we'll, uh, that, that, that we won't experience our own stumbles, our own falling, but he'll keep us from it impacting our end game. Um, we'll still fall, we'll still trip, but it's, it's not to our destruction, um, as it were. Uh, these still happen to us, um, if not much more so, the temptations, uh, but we are able to be kept uh, in, his, in his hands, effectively. Um, to present, this is to stand by, to hold up. The reason why this struck me so much when I first read it was this... I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. The, the idea that ultimately one day we'll be standing before God and Jesus will be next to us, not at the right hand of God condemning us, but next to us, holding us up, right? <clears throat> with exceeding joy. He knows our heart more than we do. And he's going to hold us up with joy. <laughs> I like the concept of us being held up by that because I'm pretty sure that if I were standing before God knowing full well that everything's laid bare before him, I don't think I could even raise my eyes to look up. And he's going to hold us up with exceeding joy. And that, that destroyed me when I first read it. Um, and, and it's always hard telling others the verses that mean a lot to you because there's always a personal experience that goes with it. But, um, but, but 
at least I can share now, this is why I wanted to do Jude, although I joked about it being short. This was the, the one epistle, or the, even the one verse that has, um, has levelled me more than any other in the Bible that I've, that I've come across so far. Um, so that's, that's what I wanted to share on that one. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I like to think that when he said it is finished, he's thinking of that day, not what was happening right then and there. Yeah, thank you for that. That's, that's lovely. Um, again, um, sorry for getting emotional. Apologies. I'll, I'll, I'll move forward so we can get through it because I don't want to run out of time. Um, we started four minutes late and I had to have the toilet break for my son, so I'm going to take a few minutes. Um, so here we've got to stand in the presence of his glory. That is to stand before God. Uh, I don't need to go through, through definitions and, and the understanding there, but when we're talking about being in the presence of his glory, it's not an abstract concept. We're not in the presence or, or, or a feeling um, that he's in the room. We are literally to stand before God um, and that we had to be presented um, unblemished, without blame, without sin. Um, it's, it's incomprehensible. Um, <clears throat> so that's, that's verse 24. And 25, again, we can gloss over it. I, uh, I was listening to um, uh, another preacher from Scotland who was doing a thing on Jude, and he said, I, I get to 24, 25, all the commentaries end. Nobody really covers off on it much. It's a doxology. We kind of gloss over it. So he, he did uh, 12 separate sessions on just the last two verses. So if you think 10's bad with me, he did 12 on two verses. <laughs> um, it, it, could have been, it could have been longer. But um, anyway, we'll go through this. Again, to raise the only wise God our Saviour. We might remember when we looked at verse 4, it was, he, he raised it again um, as saying the only Lord God. The controversial component about this was when this was written, the only one that was to be, be taken with, with any vigor or to be, to be praised, the worship was meant to be Caesar. Um, to have that term not, not just once but twice in this epistle would have, would have absolutely angered some and, and absolutely resonated with others. Um, so again, it's, it's this concept of it being an only God. It's the exact same words that's used in verse 4, but again, it, it would have been inflammatory to have included it at the time. Um, you'll see a reference here which is God our Saviour. It is uncommon that, uh, that the New Testament will refer to as God as our Saviour. Usually it's Jesus Christ. But it's not exclusive to Jude. There are a few examples and, and if you wanted to you could look at uh, Luke 1, 47. Um, that, that also refers to God as being the Saviour, um, not necessarily Jesus. Um, another thing that I wanted to highlight, the verb be, and you'll see it in italics in verse uh, 25, be glory and majesty, dominion and power. Usually in a doxology, and it's not exclusive to Christendom, doxologies exist in, in many other forms, and they, again, they follow that very similar pattern of who you're talking about, what the, what the blessing or desire is for that individual, for the recipient to be, the, the length of time, and then a response. <clears throat> Here, it almost reads with the B that we are kind of blessing God, as it were, with glory and majesty, dominion and power. And I read an interesting 
um, commentary that basically said you'd be better off replacing the word be with belongs um, or even remove it entirely. These are the attributes of God. Um, they exist within him. Uh, he has glory, majesty, dominion and power. So although we are, we are acknowledging that, um, B, it, does, it sounds a little bit different there, and I like the, the, the commentary that said it would be better to replace B with belongs. And again, I'm not justifying changing the Bible here. The B is specifically in italics because it doesn't exist in the original, translate, uh, sorry, in the original um, uh, text, but it is, is the concept. Again, B back in its original translation for the King James at its time would have made a little bit more sense, but uh, to put belongs there um, uh, definitely works in, in today's terminology. Again, I won't break down all of the individual words, um, again, from a Greek perspective or, or look into them in any great detail because I think it needs to be understood more as to what we're talking about here. Glory here is God's renown. Um, it's displayed in his cre- creation, his provisions and his salvation. If you look this word up and it exists all throughout the Bible, you will see it as a, a term that is used in, really, in relation to predominantly these three areas, the creation of the entirety of this world, and, and the fact that you can see his glory in all of it, the provisions that he gives to those that he uh, that, 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 uh, saved, and the salvation itself, it's, it's through that glory, his renown. Now, majesty is an attribute of one who possesses glory. It's basically an acknowledgement of that. So he has glory and that majesty comes through it. Dominion is a reference to God's sovereignty or control over that creation, his provisions and his salvation. He has the 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 control over it and the power here is the authority to actually um, he's at liberty to exercise that dominion he has the right to do his will as he sees fit so in in the four short the four short terms that we've got here we're referring to our God as savior and we're acknowledging the fact that everything that's out there is in glory to him no one else the majesty that exists underneath that the dominion the control the sovereignty that he has over it is his and the authority to do with what he, to do with it what he sees fit, and fortunately for us, we have a loving and keeping God. And His will for us is that we should be saved. Um, and then the to top it all off, he's, he's used Amen, and it's obviously not uncommon to end a lot of these epistles. But again, we've got a we've got a so be it. We've got a Jewish finale to a Greek epistle, uh, just to cap off the fact that we've uh, that we're, we're talking to this very interesting crowd back in his time and much more so an, an interesting crowd in this time. So uh, that finishes, I guess, what I wanted to talk to. I had a whole heap of notes that I was going to go through, but uh, there's no time. I just wanted to cover off, again, taking a couple more minutes for, uh, for what we lost. Visually, I, I find uh, visual assistance in this. Uh, so I won't go through my thoughts. I'll, I'll put them up later. Um, I find it visually a little bit easier to sort of digest some of these things, taking more of a bird's eye view on this. Um, if we're to look at this, uh, I guess, as, as a temple or a house, our salvation or our understanding or our, our, our life um, as, as a house, um, I, I sort of got the concept in verse 20 where we're building ourselves up. Um, everything starts with an acceptance of salvation. And I put your in a lot of these, as, as Jude did as well. I want to put the emphasis back on everyone that's here. There's an acceptance of salvation. If that exists, that is a bedrock to everything. Nothing can be built on that. You're talking about building on sand versus rock. <clears throat> Sitting above that as a foundation for this home, you would have your communion with God, your keeping of God's commandments, and again, not just the, the Ten Commandments, but His Word, and then a confidence in your eternal salvation. Now, where have I got this? This is verse 20 and 21, right? Praying in the Holy Ghost, the communion with God is your prayer life. 
keeping yourselves in the love of God. You can't keep the commandments of the Lord if you don't know them. That's your Bible study. That's your understanding of his word and a confidence in your eternal salvation that is looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. There's a confidence of your salvation. Now, these three things coexist amongst themselves. You can have confidence in your salvation once you've accepted it and have a poor prayer life and a poor Bible understanding, but the three complement each other. I put them side by side for that reason. Again, just to emphasise, this is my interpretation. We've, we've left Jude now. I'm... I'm, I'm coming up with something that just made sense to me as I was writing it all out. These three pillars uphold your faith. All right? Your faith in the Lord. Now, that is not your salvation. That's your understanding of your faith comes from building these pillars up. The more confidence you've got, the more you read your Bible, and the more you're praying to the Lord, your faith is only going to increase. You erode any of those, that faith becomes shaky, and that's what Jude's talking about. The, the interlopers that we've got will erode these three. They're the termites in that base right there. The stronger you build those up, the stronger you are in your faith. <clears throat> Above that, you've got your words and your deeds. And Jude spoke about that in all of the examples. There were individuals that did actions. There were individuals that spoke against word. There were murmurers and complainers and backbiters. And there were those that out and out sinned and were happy to be in that sin. So your words and your deeds... That is your testimony. That's what makes your testimony. And that, unfortunately, is all the world's going to see. If any of these are shaky, if any of these are broken, if any of these are being eroded, ultimately it will show up in your testimony. And that is what Jude's talking about in relation to your behaviours. He's only identifying these people through their behaviours. He's not pulling out chapter and verse and giving you doctrine and, and, and attacking you with that. He's giving you behaviours, modelled behaviours and modelled examples of testimonies that have failed, with the exception of Michael, who, uh, who, who had a good one in this one. So that was, that was something I wanted to raise. Um, I inherited my father-in-law's Bible when he passed away, and at the beginning of Jude, he had that quote, pray or be pray, um, as a bit of a play on words, which I thought was quite out for Jude. So I, I wanted to share that with everyone because... Um, because that was there. I already sung obedience, um, the keeping of the Lord's commandments that we've got here. Um, again, I'll let everyone do it because we're running out of time here. But John 14 to 15, actually, it's a short one. If you love me, keep my commandments. If there's nothing else you take out of the Bible, take that, take that away. As a saved individual, if you love the Lord, keep his commandments. That is his word in its entirety. <clears throat> Definitely don't have time to read this one, but please write this one down. If you need a boost of confidence in your salvation, Romans 8, 35 to 39. Uh, my Bible refers to it as the believer secure. I won't read it out. That is one that I think you should do in your own time and reflect on what that means for you and your salvation. If you are saved and that's not resonating with you, let's have a chat. If it does, well, fantastic. And if you're already familiar with it, then uh, yeah, you, you, you're a better individual than I am. Um, because uh, coming across that again, that, that, that really um, it gave me a, a boost at the time I needed it. But um, those words and those deeds, they are our works. And now, again, uh, what I wanted to emphasise here is these works are not dependent upon that. That does not equal that. It is far removed as it can be. Our works reflect that. That reflects what our understanding and what our faith is. And, and an erosion or a degradation or an out-and-out out lack of any of these pillars will ultimately reflect in that testimony and will reflect in the works, but it is not a dependency upon salvation. They are an extension of it and they are a, a, a testimony of that salvation. Um, and the last little bit, again, being visual, that's the entirety of the Epistle of Jude. We have spent 10 individual sessions breaking all of this down. 
Um, it looks like a lot, but ultimately, you know, to spend, to, to spend 10 separate sessions on it. I won't have time, but I wanted to highlight all of the triplets and, uh, and move through them. And the reason I wanted to do it was uh, when you build them all up, I was going to go through them, but we don't have time. When you put them all together, um, to think that the Book of Jude not only has that much content, that much depth, that many examples, that much to it, but this concept that I kept referring to each and every time in these triplets, and when you actually highlight them and build them all out, there are more. These are just the ones that we emphasised um, uh, during our course, but it's just a visual note to end on. I thought that was quite exciting, and uh, there's not, you know, there's no, not necessarily any substance to it, but it was interesting to sort of step back up from it at the end and look at the entirety of what he's able to do. And you can see there are many overlaps. So not only has he got his triplets, but he's also been able to embed triplets within other triplets. It's, it's a very interesting uh, to way to step back to it. So I thought I'd end on that note, um, uh, just on the visual side of things. But I really appreciate everyone coming out. And I appreciate everyone's feedback as well afterwards that have come back and, uh, and, and had a talk to me or, or wanted to, um, to expand upon things or share their own little bits and pieces. It's really been appreciated and boosted my confidence in doing this. I will be taking a break from it for a while, but, uh, but I, I will do it again. Um, I wasn't too sure if I would when I started, but I absolutely will. Um, I know this looks weird. It's a QR code for anyone that wanted or missed any of the sessions. That will take you through to um, Sermon Audio, and I'm planning to put all the notes up on here uh, with all the commentary and stuff like that. So if anybody wants any of that, they're able to. If you use your phone to take a photo of that, it'll, uh, it'll take you through to Sermon Audio. But... Um, Anyway, that's it for me. So thank you again for putting up with 10 sessions of this. And I know I've run over time on almost all of them, but we got there. We got there in the end. The rapture didn't happen beforehand, so I was worried about that. <laughs> but, uh, but thank you all again. And uh, I'll just close in prayer and we'll, we'll get the service started. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for, uh, thank you for allowing uh, us to gather um, on Sunday mornings to spend time in your word. Thank you for um, giving me the... the, the skills that I needed to be able to get through this and the, the persistence to be able to, uh, to stick with it. I thank you, Lord, uh, for that. I pray that, uh, to, that w whatever um, would resonate and embed in anyone's heart, I hope it takes fruit and, uh, and, and blooms in its own timing um, according to your will, Lord. Um, you're... Um, Your absolute desire and joy for our salvation is uh, unfathomable sometimes and its depths are, uh, are too great, I think, for us to understand this side of glory. But I pray, Lord, that we would hold steadfast to that, that our confidence wouldn't waver and that the, the pillars that uphold our faith would be strengthened day by day. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to come together as a congregation, as, as we've read about over these few Sundays, that, um, that we could come together as a congregation and bolster each other um, in whatever needs might be, might be there. So I pray, Lord, that if anybody uh, would hear and be unsaved, that they would put their hand up. And I pray, Lord, that those of us that were saved for that hand that goes up, that we would grasp it firmly and do everything in your power to bring them to, to your cross and your um your salvation lord so thank you again um and i pray for the service that's coming up um thank you lord in jesus name we pray amen <laughs>